Thanks for joining us as a listener to our Hidden Kingdom podcast. With each episode, I'll be talking to speakers, poets, songwriters, artists, entrepreneurs, and friends I've made down through the years as a worship leader, hearing their stories and how they communicate in their various spheres of influence. These are conversations to inspire us to think more deeply and more imaginatively about how we use our own gifting to make known facets of the hidden kingdom. Les Moyer has played a significant role in the international contemporary worship music community. As a mentor, A&R manager at Integrity Music, record producer and bass player, he has encouraged and coached many worship leaders, musicians and songwriters. In this episode, we look at some of the influences that have shaped who he is and his calling. We dig into his roots of the Salvation Army and follow his musical journey as studio engineer, musician, producer and A&R manager. It was great to chat together. I'm sure you'll enjoy this. So it's great to have you, Les, on the Hidden Kingdom podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Dave. I've been really enjoying the, the other programs and podcasts you put out. Really oh, that's, helpful. That's, that's brilliant. And they've been such good contributors, and I know you will be. It's funny because um, the last time I saw you face-to-face was just before this lockdown. Yes. And we were at the church opposite Abbey Road Studios for yes. a gathering of musicians and creatives. Ray Hughes, one of our contributors, was there. And it was a very significant evening. But tell us what you were the, the one who convened it. What was the idea behind that? Um, well, you know, we love Abbey Road. And uh, probably actually since 98, uh, we've worked there at the studios a lot. And um, and I often thought about, you know, what it would be like to, to meet in Abbey Road. And we've had a couple of amazing recordings, you know, with London Community Gospel Choir. Mm-hmm. Album we did worship at the Abbey, and uh, obviously Matt Redmond's album we recorded live there, and and so it's become you know home from home. But uh, I thought it was really uh, significant that when Ray Hughes came, who's a wonderful uh, prophetic historian, mm-hmm. that he that we took somewhere close to Abbey Road and um, or in Abbey Road, and and uh, let him speak about the significance of this place. Mm. And I'd actually taken Ray there and Stephen Roach, took them there about uh, a year before that. And uh, there's, we did a little interview with Ray just outside the studios, and he was talking about the significance of the sound mm. that came from there and how it was impacted the world. And mm. yeah, just a real inspiration. And uh, but a few years before that, we'd actually... Um, Phil Keggy had done a concert at Abbey Road Baptist. So I met the vicar there and he said to me, Les, if, if there's any other possibilities of doing more events, please let me know. Mm. And so when Ray was in, Ray Hughes was over beginning of the year, just thought, no, this would be a significant evening. And it I did. It felt, it felt very important and um, just a great encouragement to the the British musicians as mm. well mm. in terms of even. It was arranged at very short notice, but there was a whole bunch of creatives there, 
all very hungry to hear from Ray, but also to be together. That sense of community that is is very, very strong in the, the UK scene. And one of the things that Ray brought out was the fact that the Abbey, Abbey Road, it was kind of connected with, with the Abbey and Abbey originally. It was a, quite quite wonderful. And when you think of the fountain of creativity that's come out of that place, it's affected the world. It felt yeah. very fitting. Yeah, and, and Ray's been a real gift to the UK church. Mm. And I just loved hosting him the last few years. Mm. And um, But also, one, as you say earlier, Dave, one of the most significant and unique things about the UK is just community. Mm. I mean, the community of creatives. Mm. And maybe, I don't know if it's, if it's the size of the, of the nation or UK, but it's been it's been good to keep in touch with each other, and the community has really been a support to one another. And mm. and when you talk to other worship leaders from you know Australia, or America, you know, and you ask them what is unique about the UK, and they all say the community. Mm. You know, and it's just been wonderful to see, even with yourself, Dave, just see the fathers. Mm. You know. Bring, you know, encourage the sons and daughters and see them come through. Well, we're going to dig into the essential Les um, because you have been a man of great influence throughout this last 40, 50 years in the whole worship scene. You've seen the, all the changes, seen all the development, but you come from a very strong Salvation Army family, don't you? Yes, I do. Uh, I love growing up in the Army and um, just a wonderful heritage and... Uh, just thankful, you know, that combination of uh, worship and justice, worship mm. and compassion. Mm. You know, I just was, that's how I grew up, seeing it every day. And um, my mom and dad were Salvation Army officers. And so we moved around quite a lot. Mm. You know, they would uh, receive their marching orders. And then a week later, they'd receive their appointment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. So, um, so, um, Growing up, you know, I went to quite a few primary schools, different schools. And uh, so, but the good thing was I learned how to fit in to different places. Yeah. And and also I just grew up with this amazing musical upbringing. Yeah. You know, I was playing in the brass band when I was about six or seven years old. Fantastic. And, uh, what were you playing? What were you playing, Les? Cornet. Oh, cool. Cornet was okay. yeah. Yeah. So... And also at that young age, um, there was actually a Salvation Army group called the Joy Strings. I remember them well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they were quite pioneering. Yeah. Yeah, quite radical, I suppose, from that time. And uh, they would play what this, uh, and we'll say, say contemporary Christian music. And uh, and it was in the charts, and they were in their uniforms. And yeah. so, again, I just grew up knowing that you, you could be – is make contemporary music, mm -hmm. but also stand as, as a Christian in it. So, yeah, so thankful for the Salvation Army upbringing. And, and amazingly, um, when I started to produce some albums for Graham Kendry, um, you know, he told me he had this radical idea and he would like to share it with me. And uh, I asked him what that was. And he informed me that he was now going to take praise and worship on the streets. <laughs> so I laughed, I laughed at him and I said, Graham, you know the Salvation Army have been doing that for a hundred years. And, <laughs> but we had the opportunity to 
to work together on the March for Jesus mm. to see, mm. you know, that, that expression come and again, just see the streets, see the streets filled with worship and praise, Yeah, which I'd grown up with. And so it was amazing to see what happened with that whole movement. Yeah. So you feel some of the, some of those values are, are ones that you've carried through into into what your ministry has been over the years. You feel that the heart for mission and for justice, all those things at an early age, and of course musicianship, uh, have have carried you through in many ways. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel that anyway, Dave. I feel that everything we go through is preparation for mm. what God has for you next. Mm. Mm. So I've. Um, yeah, I was just so thankful for it. And, um, yeah, just the whole thing. Also, the, the thing I love about Salvation Army is just the joy. There's, mm -hmm. a, there's a joy in there. Mm -hmm. Do you mean, you know, clapping and yeah. that's, in, you know, you don't see in, in other movements. And so there was also that thing of just being able to make a noise in church. Yeah, yeah. Well, some and of their tambourine players, I mean, honestly, they're <laughs> classed. Serious. <laughs> Serious. Yeah. Serious tambourine playing. So, yeah, you just get used to that kind of life in church. Yeah. And so this whole idea of, of almost like being religious or, you know, not making a noise in church, mm. you know, I, I didn't, um, yeah, I didn't know that kind of church. Mm -hmm. So I was, and then the South Shore, they used to have this thing called the wind up, and that used to happen on a Sunday, late Sunday evening, sometimes on a special weekends, and those were really free. And so I think it's that, isn't it? Dave? Once you've tasted the freedom, yeah, in worship in church is, you know, it's hard to go back. Yeah, it's hard to go back to something else. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. And you cut your teeth as a bass player, didn't you? How, how did you get into playing bass? Well, I was actually used to play acoustic guitar for my my sister and I used to sing together. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So we, and uh, then one time we went to a place and someone else wanted to join us and he had a guitar. So I actually started to play the bass on my guitar. So I, mm. and when I actually used to listen to singles or at the time albums and i used to try and learn the chords of a song mm -hmm. i'd actually always pick out the bass note oh wow yeah. so my ear was actually yeah. naturally drawn to the bass yeah and yeah. uh yeah and then you know i, I started playing this band which was actually a salish army group called saband saband and, yeah <laughs> <laughs> sa band so, okay. and, uh, and then through that, you know, I, le I learned to play. And then, and then I started to work in a studio in London mm. and I started to record my bass. And uh, and then when I came to Eastbourne to work at ICC mm. Studios, then I started to pick up quite a few sessions mm. on bass. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then went to Germany, played in a band called Deliverance. Yeah. And I, I said it's probably there. That's when I became a bass player. Uh huh. Yeah, just playing regularly, playing all the time. Yeah. Playing regularly. Yeah. You know, we'd have residents. We'd play a resident in a club for like five nights. Yeah. And yeah. Um, no, nothing like that. No. To do, nothing is like that to make you better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So loved doing that, and then came back to the UK, and then I would produce albums and I'd play bass. Mm. 
So mm. that, that was my my role. The thing, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think I find it interesting that you you do play the bass and you you started out, you know, that sort of musical direct uh, trajectory playing the bass because the bass holds things together. You know, not necessarily the front man is necessarily the bass player, unless you're Sting, of course. But you're there. The bass player holds the whole sound together. Uh, yeah. Is the the steady rock, and I think that 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 is a characteristic about who you are, Les. That you're able to kind of bring all these different skills and giftings together to make one coherent sound. And um, I find it interesting the way God leads us so often in our background and also our musicality, how it comes out in different ways in later in in later life. So. Yeah, that's, that's quite, quite, a few, quite, quite a few bass players have become producers. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's Trevor Horn, different people like that. And you, you see that they, it's almost like they have this overview. You know, that they're holding it down, but they've also got an overview mm. of what else is going on around them. Yeah, yeah, so, they're, they're listening uh, to the whole sound. Me as yes. a songwriter and as the sort of front man, I tend to listen to the, the song, the melody and what's happening. Whereas you're 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 listening to what the drums are doing, you're listening to the keyboard and and and, yeah. and, the, and the guitars, and making it all blend together because that's what one of your great attributes is to be able to make things blend uh, together, uh, which mm. is a terrific uh, skill to have. Um, so you went to ICC Studios and you started to do sessions, and yeah. out of that, of course, came connections. Uh, you were playing. Producing, I, actually, the first time I met you was when we were working on an album which is called Bind Us Together, which yes, turned yeah. out in the annuals of time to be quite a significant album because it came off the back of Come Together yeah. and the song on the last uh, the last uh, event that I was involved with anyway at the Rainbow Theatre, Bob Gilman stood up and played this song Bind Us Together mm-hmm. that was to become this uh, amazing anthem for a generation and sung internationally you were the engineer uh on, yes, on that engineered that and john pantry was the producer yeah yeah and uh i mean it felt significant dave i felt like this is really worship from britain hmm. you know from from the island if you said it and uh so um felt homegrown but hmm. real hmm. and authentic and uh loved it I really, really loved it. And it was, again, it was interesting for me because it wasn't just, I mean, obviously you and Pat and different worship leaders were there, mm. but also like Gerald Coates was there, John Noble, all the, tr- the church leaders were there. And just being around them as well was just great for me. And uh, yeah. obviously John Noble would come from the Salvation Army as well. Oh, of course, so, that's right. Yes. Yeah, so we had this good rapport. Yeah. You know, no, I, rem- I remember it and very ground. I felt groundbreaking yeah. at the time and uh, felt like come together, you know, come to the UK as a musical. Mm-hmm. I had a deposited something and mm-hmm. and then almost like giving permission for, mm-hmm. for the UK guys to, to write their songs now yes. and write their expression. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's something very special about Rumford, Dave. You know, we talked there earlier about a creative community and at that time it really was really was a creative community at Romford and lots of different songwriters and yeah, artists yeah. together wasn't it yeah. so it was really it was a lot coming from it 
Well, it was that word again you've used. It was community, you know, uh, this community of people, and they were all spurring each other on. You know, someone would write a song, and let's say uh, the another person would think, "Oh wow, I love that song," but I'm going to try and write a better one. You know? <laughs> and it's not it's not competition, but it's just stirring yeah. one another. It's a bit like the Renaissance in in uh, yeah. when it, when it happened with all the artists gathering together. They were stimulating each other, and I think that's a very, very powerful, powerful cocktail of um, yeah. uh, of a creativity that can can flood out of that. Yeah, mm. and now we're, I'm just loving the collaboration. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, it's just a great thing, isn't it? Community leads to collaboration, mm. and then collaboration leads to innovation. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So there's just that whole thing, you know, where and when you do something with someone else. You know, something comes that wouldn't have come if you just continue yeah. to write on your own. On your own, yeah. So I yeah. think collaboration now has become a major mm. part of the creative process. Mm. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, but you know, but it comes from community. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to ICC because for those of you listening, they won't know necessarily that ICC <laughs> Studio was the sort of Abbey Road of the Christian music scene, wasn't it? It was where it was all happening. People would. In those days, just go down for a week or two, record a whole album. But you must have seen a lot of people come through the doors and worked with them over, over the, the years you were there. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was there as an engineer for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. years. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, apart from recording as Binders Together, um, I also got to engineer uh, Graham Kendrick's first worship album. Mm. Go Jesus Stand Among Us. Yeah, remember it. And um, again, I hadn't realized that, you know, I was walking in to this role at ICC in Eastbourne at, at this moment in, in history when British worship was just about to. Yes. You know, so, and impact the church. And so, it was, you know, looking back now, it was a very exciting times. And, and also, I had got the privilege of, um, of, producing and engineering their first two British gospel albums. Yeah. So there was a band called Kenos, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Basil Mead and and Joel Edwards were in, uh, which oh, was wow. yeah. in the day. And then um, Joel Edwards had this zebra guitar, which was <laughs> so it was fun. And then um, and then we recorded the Maxine Simpson and the Majestic Singers. Yeah. So, from yeah. Burma. yeah so yeah so it was amazing to be involved in that and it was was incredible but icc was every week there'll be someone different yeah and usually that was from a different stream of the church mm -hmm. so one so one week you're working uh, you're working with these radicals from romford <laughs> it's charismatic okay <laughs> yeah. and next week you're working with you know, with again, Kanos and Majestic Singers. So it was always, as always, quite a different um, thing. Ishmael, yeah. you know, so you get to experience, yeah, yeah, you get to experience all that stuff, the and, and it, yeah, and you get to the richness of the church. Mm. So um, mm. yeah, so that was, and obviously, like you say, just meeting so many people, yeah, 
I think it's been interesting that uh, those gospel roots, you know, from from the black majority churches, you've you've always kept those, haven't you? You know, and I think that's a a strong value within what you've done. And of later years, we've seen uh, a much more merging together. But in those days, it was they were very separate, uh, the black churches and the white churches. Um, yeah. But we've seen we've seen much more of a coming together in in in, in the musical styles. Yeah, I mean, it was. I had a privilege, obviously, of of recording these albums. But then, what would happen? Say Basil Mead or whoever mm. would say, "Oh, Les, why don't you come to our church?" Or, you know, there was a moment when when Basil was ordained, and uh, and I went to this church, was called the Church of the Latter Rain Outpouring Revival. <laughs> <laughs> That was the name of the church. I think it was in Hoxton. Oh my goodness! And, yeah, yeah. So I went there, and uh, and it, and it, the lady that was the lady pastor then, yeah. And she said, "And now, brother Basil Mead's going to minister to us." And he went on his Hammond, and he played. Must have played the Hammond for about fifteen, twenty minutes, and people were just standing up and worshiping, and yeah, it was incredible. So it was. I was just at that time, you know, I was 22 years old, but I was been out, I was getting to see this, you know, whole variety of church. Mm. And, and so for me, it was all one. Do you, do you mean? So then, mm. and then when we did this, when we did a session, like when we, I was thinking about a day when we did in the name of Jesus. Yep. Your in the album. name of the Lord. Name, name of the Lord. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And then, sorry. And, and then we, you know, David Grant, Face, yeah. Simpsons, you know, Jimmy. <laughs> they were lively. I remember them coming the night before. <laughs> <laughs> Records were playing up till two yeah. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was just there was all those those things going on. So yeah, and um, there was an amazing uh, phrase or this call out by Kirk Franklin in '98. I was at Nashville and mm-hmm. GMA. And this song, I think he was doing Stomp, you know, and uh, mm. at the end of Stomp, you know, the drummer hit the snare. And Kirk shouted out, he said, uh, no more black music, no more white music, only God's music. Mm-hmm. And and it was mm. like an electric shock went through me. Do you mean? And so mm. I know that's just that calling to make God's music, but God's music is with the nations coming together mm, mm, and mm. not black or white, but mm. God's music is, you know, diverse and, and that diversity needs to be reflected. In yeah. It. Yeah. Well, I'd like to come back to that uh, a little bit later, but if we just follow it through with, um, you went made a transition, you were a touring musician and, and, and doing studio work and producing and so on and so forth. And eventually you moved into being an A&R person with integrity music as graham oh, kendrick yes, calls kingsway. it kingsway, uh, kingsway at, the at the time yeah kingsway at the time yeah. uh as graham kendrick uh call what does he call it um architecture uh, or oh, a and yeah a uh something and restaurants airports uh, airports and restaurants that's right <laughs> airports and restaurants. yeah well, that's lots where we of, lots of meeting with people and of course you'd already established a big kind of uh, clientele of people you were working with. So it was quite a natural uh, development in there. But 
what exactly for someone who's listening who doesn't know too much can you outline what an ANR person is yeah so basically uh, ANR they're generally the people who discover we call it dig and discover and develop so and uh, really like recognize you know an anointing on someone and um, I love that thing where Jesus, what Jesus did was he he blessed what you saw the Father doing, mm-hmm. and so if if you see the Father on someone's God using someone, then generally you just get alongside them and help them bless them. So that's what I've tried to do, David. And uh, so even when I was producing albums, I loved the development stage. Mm-hmm. I loved it. You know, most the guys I worked with. Then that we'd work on several albums together, and so I loved you know seeing with yourself or Noel Richards or mm-hmm. you see a development mm-hmm. from one album to the next. You know we'd learn from that album. We'd go on to the next album. What more can we do? Mm-hmm. Just keep building and keep pushing. So I say that A and R is kind of responsible for the development mm-hmm. of the worship leader or the artist or the songwriter, and. So- you you connect with somebody you know they're an artist you're you're start you, i guess you're looking for what what is it that they've got that's special that they bring to the table yeah <laughs> sometimes it's not special yet sometimes yeah. you just sometimes you see potential mm-hmm. so it's almost a little bit like a talent scout mm-hmm. you know where you, you you go and you see someone and you go, oh there's something special there or there's something there and and you encourage it and uh, and sometimes you know, or you see what what that person needs to move to the next level. Yes. So you offer your constructive criticism, if you want to yeah. say that, yeah. and on. But then they almost like reaches a stage when wow, this person is like ready. Do you know what I mean? And so, I mean, one of the, the joys of my life was um, I was best, you know, as you know, best playing bass at New Wine. And uh, Bryn Harris was the worship leader, which was a delight mm. to be playing bass for mm. Bryn. And then uh, he said to me, oh, the, um, there's there's a young worship leader coming up from New Wine Youth, and he's, he's going to come and lead a couple of songs mm. at this evening's meeting, so can you get here a bit earlier? Mm. So I got there and there's shy young guy came up and uh, so I said hello I'm, I'm Les what's, what's your name and and it was uh, and he said well Matt and it was Matt Redman mm. so and he he led he led a couple of songs that night and so we just chatted and he said I said what are you doing he says well I'm leading worship at, with the youth he said you, you should come down and check out what's going on and so so I went down after the evening meeting in the main venue, if you want to call that, to the youth venue. And when I got down there, there was about 600 young people, and, and God was just doing so much there, and it was just vibrant life, and just mm. all the things were going on. Mm. And I thought, no, this is amazing. And so then every night after the main venue worship, I would be running down to the youth venue to be <laughs> with Matt and Mike Pilavachi then, and youth. But just realizing that God was doing something special there and and so 
I got involved with Matt and Mike mm-hmm. in just and just like really to help them during it. Then I ended up playing bass on Matt's first recording. And so and we just got to know each other and and then when I became A and R for Kingsway, then one of the first things I did was we took with Kingsway and they signed Matt. And so then we began that journey hmm. of development, development. and growth. Yeah, and, and different, you know, one thing about A&R, A&R usually chooses or discusses with the artist worship leader who should be the producer on the album. Hmm. So um, so the first two albums for Kingsway, then Martin Smith produced those. And then Martin got quite busy with Delirious. So then we moved to Andy Piercy. Mm-hmm. And Andy yeah. So it's like, so you use but you're usually the guy who works that out. Works that out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's one more thing, David. Hmm. One of the greatest again, one of the greatest joys of being A and R is you use usually get to hear the first idea of a song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you you know you could, okay, we're gonna do <laughs> you know, we're gonna do a new project or you wanna go and see the uh, guys and uh, you're at a backstage or somewhere, and you say, well, how are you doing? Good. And um, how are you going to get on with your songwriting? And and then they would start to sing you generally just an idea. So the song wouldn't even yeah. be finished. Or they might say, oh, I've got an idea for this song. I said, what are you going to call it? And they'll give you one phrase. Uh-huh. And you say, and you're usually the person who goes, yeah, that, that's really good. Or, oh, okay. Join and so you you're in that at that moment mm. which is an amazing thing to be in mm. Mm. and then to see the journey of the song come together then it be recorded and then go out and then you know to walk into different places and everyone's singing the song that you first heard yes amazing amazing it's really amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. very rewarding and fulfilling yeah and I guess in your role, uh, some of it is also to understand psychology because different people, different personalities have different ways of expressing themselves. Some are more quiet and reserved and some are extrovert and need a bit of tying down. Um, <laughs> you know, you must be uh, in, in that role. I know I've seen you in, in uh, many, many situations. It's almost like backstage in the in the vestry, if you like. Uh, before the thing uh, happens sometimes it's the words you say to somebody that can really affect their approach and 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 the way they go I remember you talking about Angelo Dundee uh, the trainer of Muhammad Ali well tell us that story tell us yeah well um I was reading the Sunday Times and I think it was the Sunday Times but definitely it was Times newspaper and it was an obituary to Angelo Dundee and um and you know he, as Dave said, he, as you said, he, you know, he was the trainer to Cassius Clay, and so that's how people knew him. But when I started to read his story, he actually trained ten world champions, mm. and and it's just amazing. You know, he he, as well as doing Muhammad Ali, he trained um, uh, Sugar Ray, who was the youngest person ever to become world champion, and he also trained. Uh, Frazier, who was the oldest person to win the championship. So 
really uh, inspiring. But when I read his book, so when I bought his book, his biography, and again, it was like how he treated each fighter separately and how individual as individuals and how what he had to do to keep them on, almost like keep them on course, keep them focused. And uh, as you know, as, as a trainer, um, you, know, you, you just have that 45 seconds, don't you? Or is it, I mean, it, when, when they're at the side of the ring, getting a drink. Yeah. And in that minute, he had to say the words that would inspire the fighter to go out and win the next round mm-hmm. or the next rounds. Mm. And uh, so I was really actually very inspired. And I've read the book several times, mm-hmm. but really mm-hmm. inspired by this guy. And and I could see my, you know, that myself and I could see that A&R role, you know, or even, you know, when you're producing someone, mm. you know, the comment that you make to them in their headphones or whenever before they go for another take yes. or, or to the band yeah. is it, just vital. Absolutely. You know? Yes, absolutely. So, the power of words. I mean, on the other side of that, I know what it's like. You know, you, you've got the headphones on and then it all goes quiet and you hear a, there's a discussion <laughs> going on behind the glass and you always, certainly I do, always think the negative. I think, oh, no, they're saying... He's a sham, you know. He's he's rubbish. Why 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 has he lasted so long or whatever? Um, but actually, you're not. You're not saying that. But it's it's the power of words that can can lift you up. And I think again, it comes back to this thing of relationships and understanding each other that can draw out so much potential. There's so much. I mean, you mentioned about Matt being very shy when you when you first met him. But the right development with somebody be amazed what can come out and of course what what has come out since incredible yeah mm. yeah i like that and um i mean there's a great thing is uh, with you too you know that joshua tree was number five mm. joshua tree was their fifth album so it's just that time of uh development mm. you know that that people need and i think even like with the beatles you know that journey to sergeant pepper yeah. As well, you can see it. You know where the, where the artist is growing and growing more confident mm. to express their ideas. Mm. You know, whereas if, as you know, I was thinking about Tim Hughes. You know, the first album I did with him that was again he was quiet at the back of the studio, wouldn't say much, and we just kind of got on with it. And then the more <laughs> the more we did together, you know, he he started to. To, to really establish himself and uh and it started to sound he found his own voice yeah but, and so um yeah so it's just part of the a and r roles to draw that out and um to help people thing, find their voice isn't it yeah. yeah help people find their voice and just even when you really get to know people they if they they actually start to share their dreams with you mm. and and so, and they might be pretty crazy, you know. So when Noel Richards says, "There's a, I've got this dream, Wembley Stadium," it's just like it's no, it's nowhere, it's not on next thing to do. Mm. I mean, it really is a big dream. Mm. And so, when people start sharing their dreams with you, then you and they resonate. You say, "Well, let's go on that journey together." Mm-hmm. And so, I just love being able to do that. Being mm. able to be able to journey with with songwriters and artists that have a vision. Mm, that's brilliant. 
That's brilliant. And another part of what you do, and we touched on it slightly, but is evaluating songs. What makes <laughs> a good worship song? Wow. That's a good thing. You know, I had, I had to I had to answer this uh, last week yeah, by 80 songwriters mm-hmm. on, on Zoom, which is funny. But, you know, I was, I was thinking about it after I gave my answer. But um, there's obviously the thing of, you know, of when worship songs especially is this thing um, where you learn to uh, sing an old truth in a fresh way. So the truths about God are not changing, but there's this, you know, there's got to be some way of saying this in a new way, in a fresh way. So finding people who who can do that or a song that does that, because you know it's just like oh that's been said before. Yeah, you know that, that but people say a fresh way of of an eternal truth, and I think that's been really important. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, the congregational aspect of it, where almost like three generations are joining together in one voice. So it's quite a unique gift yeah. in yeah. terms of seeing that happen and and a melody that encompasses all that stuff and and just making sure each section of the song is strong. So between the verse and the pre-chorus, the chorus and the bridge and outro, just making sure each section is as good as it can be. You know, there's great, that great line, isn't there, um, about the verse and you know, don't bore us, get to the chorus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes a verse is too long or yeah. the chorus is too complicated mm. and or a bridge is not necessary. All, all those things. So you learn to critique those things. Mm. But just... Like I said, when I came off this call last week, the thing I, I thought about is, you know, when a song is sung and the atmosphere changes in the room, mm. do you mean, mm. and you, do you yeah. mean, yeah. and and it's really like identifying those songs. Yes. Do, do yeah. you mean that when they, when they sing that song, the church, something just starts to rise, you know, it starts, their voices rise or, something happens in the room when that song is sung. It's almost like and, it becomes their song, not just your song. It's, it's the congregation's song. Yeah. Um, which... Yeah, and I, I'm doing that a lot now, Dave. I've just been going to different countries and encouraging people to write their songs, mm. write songs about what God is doing in their home situation, mm. their local situation, rather than sing so much about what he's doing in Sydney or California or yes. anywhere different parts of the world mm. and then um, mm. just always remember there was this the church you know the church in Bradford uh, life church and they had it and um, they saw an amazing thing happen you know this lady would come to church and she would lie on a mattress and then over a few months the Lord healed her and then she started to dance in church huh. so so they wrote, yeah, the guys at Bradford, they wrote this song called Dance Again. Okay. So I went up, you know, and we were recording it live. We were recording the whole album. And they, the live recording was going really well. Yeah. It, you know, it was a great night. And uh, it was going well. But then they hit this song, Dance Again. I mean, it, they, it, was, like, it was like five times louder. Yeah, because it was their song. Yeah. It was their song. Yeah. And it came from there. And so so I feel, you know, and to really encourage people to write songs about what, and 
God is doing in their situation. And I know that, like, when you those early songs from Romford as well, from the they were just reflective of what God was mm, doing, mm, there, wasn't it? Mm, so, yeah. you know, and so I really encourage people to write those songs. And, and, and even Heart of Worship, you know, Matt's Redmond song, is written about a situation in their church at Soul Survivor. Yeah. But it was written for the church. It wasn't written become a global anthem no no it was written because no. my brother actually has sacked the worship team <laughs> for a few weeks <laughs> do you mean so but out of that story came you know came this song mm -hmm. and uh, so do you mean I, I just think right for your situation local situation and and then god will take that and as things have progressed, you know, you've had a, a wider kind of <clears throat> global perspective. So taking up that theme about people writing their song, that embraces all sorts of sounds and styles yeah. that traditionally, even sometimes in the West, we're not used to, we're not comfortable with, but are other people's songs that we need to learn and to embrace and to bring together. And I know that's that's a big part of your vision right now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they, we, we touched on some of that, didn't we, in the Marsham Street project mm. that we mm. worked on together and, you know, always kind of been championing the Indigenous sounds. Mm. Mm. I mean, but I feel that as the church becomes more multicultural, then our worship needs to be, that too so you know i think it needs to um in a way reflect the congregations that we're in mm. so i think that you know as as so as especially in the cities as the church becomes more multicultural then that should be reflected in the sounds that are used you know in the worship and then the other thing i was just being really so encouraged about recently is you know uh just in 2017, went to Lagos, to Africa and uh, Nigeria. And then through that, came across uh, a lady called Sinatch. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that led to, to coming across the song Waymaker. So we were able to see that song, you know, be recorded and 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 uh, on the Integrity label. And just to see, yeah, to see that song connect with the global church. And so more and more, you know, our, we see our role is to build highways between the nations so that the songs can travel. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting, and, you know, in Isaiah talks about um, prepare the way, you know, remove the obstacles. But then the next line is, and raise a banner for the nations. And I feel that's at, the, at this time, this is what we're doing, Dave. We're raising a banner for the songs that are coming from the nations mm. that are meant for the global church, not just for that nation. I suppose it, it's very similar to the work with an artist, actually. You're talking about working with artists, but also works with nations and churches from nations because it's helping people find their voice or amplify their voice and making it heard to a wider, to wider perspective. It's the same thing, really. We've all got a voice. Um, and sometimes we just feel that it's not quite adequate enough, that somebody else has got something better to offer, but actually it's nurturing the God-given voice that we have 
the musical style that we have, being open to other influences. Um, and I think that's one of the exciting things is when you get different cultures merging their sound mm. together. Um, that Well, we've talked many, endlessly about Revelation and every tribe and yeah. every nation. Uh, it, it's there. But um, you've been very influential in doing that over the years, working with different communities to, to help facilitate that. And there's still a long way to go, I know. Yeah, thanks, Dave. I mean, you know, I've watched other people and there was a guy who came over to the UK in 1992, a guy called Kevin Prosh. Mm. And, uh, and basically what I saw was that Kevin gave permission. Yeah. It definitely, especially for the next generation, like Martin Smith and, yeah. and those guys to make the sound that was in their hearts mm. and, uh, and uh, just encourage them and also release the indigenous sounds. But, but I think it's that as well It's you know, when I've been traveling, Dave, one of the key things is, um, is to give per people permission mm. to, to make the sound that they're hearing in their hearts, not necessarily to copy. And, yeah. and we just had such encouragement for, in Holland, actually, mm. and Netherlands. And uh, God gave us this word, uh, um, innovate, don't imitate. Mm -hmm. I like it. Yeah. So, yeah. and that's, so that's what we've been doing, you know, don't imitate mm. the other nations or what else yep. you see, but innovate. Express, yeah. So, yeah, so it's been so love that someone coming, giving permission, like come, come together almost like we talked about earlier, give mm. permission mm. for the UK to be free in their worship and express it in a different way. Mm. And also those pioneers, like wasn't it, like David and Dale Garrett? Yeah, David and Dale Garrett, yeah. Yeah, they just... Away, this just came in and gave confidence and permission, mm. modeled it, mm. and uh, so that's what I think we need to do. Mm. Um, and then just see what you watch this grow, watch it and mm. bless the nations. And you've chronicled a lot of this in in a in a book that you've written, um, the missing or missing jewel, uh, right. where you quote uh, Tozer and uh, his. Uh, He's <laughs> saying at the statement, uh, a famous statement in the early 60s, uh, worship the missing jewel of the evangelical church. Yeah. Um, it's a fascinating read for anyone who, who hasn't read it, and I would encourage you to get it. But you cover the whole sort of gamut from the 60s right through to now and many of the situations you've been in and people you've met. And what did you learn when you talked to those people would there be an overview of what what you you learned when you were doing that book yeah i mean again the community is it was amazing just to say that what and see the way that the fathers released the sons and daughters mm -hmm. and mothers and their role in that just to really and almost like the lineage of the levites mm -hmm. jimmy where you know you can almost like see it you know yourself and graham Mm. No, no, Richard mm. Martin, Matt. Do you, know, you, you can almost like see this thing where God was just uh, moving, but also just see God's hand in building the tapestry it was amazing. And um, the, I, I got the privilege of interviewing Mike Bickle. Okay. So, and again, which was a real privilege. And uh, so I, I interviewed him actually in Kansas and 
and we were talking about it. And and Mike is actually the best teacher I've ever heard on the spontaneous song. All right, in the spontaneous song, you know, and he and he's in Kansas the church at the time. You know, Kevin was there, Crush, and then David Roos was there, different people. So he was, re- you know, he was the passage to these guys who were very very gifted in the mm. spontaneous song. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I said to him in this interview, I said, Mike, how did you learn this, all this information and wisdom about the spontaneous song? And then, and he started laughing and he said, well, Terry Virgo <laughs> and Arthur Wallace came to see me. <laughs> to English Bible teachers, yeah. The Bible teachers in St. Louis. And they persuaded him that singing in the spirit was of God. <laughs> and... Uh, and he went home and studied it, and then he learned that. And then and he started laughing. He says, "He says, so I teach um, Terry and Arthur come to see me. I, I then teach it to Kevin Prosh." <laughs> oh, so it was just seeing God do that hmm. things. Hmm. It was um, weaving, you know, weaving the tapestry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just but it feels. There's more to come, isn't there, Dave? There's more to it feels come. like the jewels getting brighter, and and uh, worship has been restored to the church, and mm. now will overflow. Hmm. Yeah. You, you've um, you've had a lot of contact with America. You frequent trips over to Atlantic, and uh, of course, Integrity Music are an American um, based. Uh, recording company and and so on although they're worldwide but they're they're based in america um you've worked with a lot of american musicians Uh, perhaps this is closing question really because our time is coming to an end what do you see as the strengths of america that we can learn from and perhaps some of the strengths of the the british scene what 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 are some of the things (laughs) you can pin Um. Well, the thing I learned from America was was actually how to make records. Hmm. So, uh, sonically, their you know their, their records actually sounded better, I would say, hmm. than a lot of ours. And so, but when I was there, I picked up some tips and some things that really helped me. Hmm. And um in terms of what equipment they were using, what microphones, mm. what valve, the eye boxes they were, they were using on bases, and just things like that. I, I learned a lot from them and the sonics of, um, you know, of the, of the worship. And there were, just to go back there, there was just very, at the very beginning of my almost like commissioning as a record producer, there was this, um, there was a guy called Jeff Shearn, who we both know, and he was originally the founder of Kingsway Music. And he took me into his office and he played me this Maranatha album and string Maranatha Praise. Don't know if you remember those albums. Mm, I do. Beautifully recorded mm-hmm. and but a little sterile. Mm-hmm. And then he, a clinical, and then he played me, um, he said, listen to this. <laughs> he actually put on a cassette of Dan's Bible Week. Right. And it, uh, it sounded like live, live. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of tambourine on there, but um, phone at the back of the tent. <laughs> I think one microphone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but totally anointed. Hmm. 
And he said, so he kind of commissioned me to try and bring together the quality of the Maranatha album with the anointing that was on the dance Bible week album. Mm. And so that's, and that's been my journey, you know, to try and bring together this quality of sound, but still capturing the sound of worship. Mm. And uh, so when I was in America, I felt on my visits there, um, that, that really helped me to learn that. Mm. So especially I was in California with the Vineyard on their, working on their albums and also in, in Nashville. So, uh, so yeah, so at, at, I really learned a lot that way. And, um, but I just think there's, uh, there's a heart and a passion in the UK mm-hmm. that we have to impart and, and give. And, and like I said before, just the community aspect is, is really, and the preferring of one another, mm. the relational situations, encouraging one another, looking after one another, wanting to see each other succeed. All those things that they're almost, you know, that, like I say, handing on to the next generation, honoring the generation that come mm. gone before. Mm. All those things are just, you know, I think God loves it. God's really smiled on it. And I, I would say that's why he's blessed the UK mm. worship because of that. Mm. And also just this last thing, just the commitment to what they call song of substance, you know, the commitment to the modern hymn, mm-hmm. carrying on that whole carrying thing. That tradition. Yeah. yeah. From the Wesleys and Whitfield, you know, to that thing where the UK songs generally have great content and, uh, you know, and so I think that's, you know, Christ alone, the f- things, things like that. It's, yeah. it's just there's yeah. the content in the song and that it, it makes it's just unique. And uh, so if we can have content and engagement, it's incredible. And so, yeah, I think that's a strength of the UK church. Mm. Well, I could carry on talking to you for... <laughs> Hours less. Um, we carry on in the curry house. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a great conversation, and I want to thank you so much for joining with us uh, for our Hidden Kingdom. Uh, do check out Les's book, um, Missing Jewel. Uh, it's a great overview of the worship scene over the last 50 years, and I think you'll find it stimulating and inspiring uh as you as you read it through and you'll know many of you will know many of the characters that les has rubbed shoulders with real characters <laughs> real characters <laughs> yeah thank you for joining with us les uh appreciate you so much you've done so much in the uk and worldwide global in as we said at the beginning you know the bass player he pulls things together and you've used your skills by serving the body of Christ in such a wonderful way and we appreciate it so much. So thank you, Les, for joining with us this afternoon. And you and Pat have pioneered so much here in the UK too. So thank you. Thanks, Les.